It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, November 4th, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Last month, the Sitka Assembly appointed Tim Pike to fill a vacant seat for the next year. Pike has lived in Sitka for the last 25 years and teaches career and technical education at Sitka High School. But he doesn't consider himself the education candidate on the Assembly. Rather, he sees himself as a citizen interested in economic growth. He spoke with KCAW's Catherine Rose about his decision to apply for the seat. You were one of four folks to, to apply for uh, the vacant assembly seat. Why did, you, uh, why did you decide to apply for that seat? Well, it's something I've been thinking about for a while. I've been watching the assembly and realizing all the hard work that goes into that. Um, and um, when this seat came open, um, I have a great deal of respect for Dave Miller, and I felt like it was an opportunity to see if I could carry on a little bit of where he was going and and go forward with that. So that was basically the thinking behind getting into the into the seat, so to speak, was to work toward, um, you know, many of the things that he articulated plus some other things. So. And do you think that, so this is a one-year seat and then there will be an election for the final year of, of uh, Dave Miller's term. Do you think, you, will you plan to run for re-election? Is it too soon to say? It's a very popular question I've been getting, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's too soon to say, uh, you know, which way it uh, it will go at that point in time. I don't know. Um, I certainly don't have the intention not to run. I guess I intend to, you know, go going forward to look at seeing what that looks like after uh, getting going a little bit. But it's my first time doing anything like this, so um, I'm not sure what uh, what this will be like. So, but it was your first time doing anything like, like this, like being on the assembly or, or, or you know, mm-hmm. school board, obviously you're, you're, a, you're an educator, so that wouldn't be a, a pathway for you, but, but you have been very involved with the um, local teachers organization, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been president and held different roles in that organization. Yeah. So, I mean, I've run for things that in the past, it's just not, uh, not at the citywide level. And can you talk a little bit about how, about that experience? Like you think that's going to help inform your role on the assembly a little bit? Well, I wouldn't like to be characterized just as a strictly education person because, I mean, I've been in Sitka for 25 years, and um, so I'm, you know, I view myself as a Sitkin at this point in time. And so, you know, I think there's a lot. The assembly deals with a lot bigger things, and I think the reason we have a school board is because that's such a specialized area of, of the city's responsibility that it needs, you know, a group to to run, supervise that, and focus on that, uh, particularly so. As an assembly member, there's a lot more pieces to the puzzle to think about and a lot more things to keep moving forward. And And so I wouldn't want to be seen as just an education candidate. Um, but my experience working in education is it's a people business, um, obviously, and working with people is what uh, I think I have some experience with for sure. And I look forward to uh, applying that to helping move forward the things that the city needs to get done. And you talked a little bit about about Dave Miller's legacy, but also you know just some of the the issues that you want to focus on. You know, right. you're not just an education candidate. So what are what are some of those issues that have kind of drawn you to this role? What are you really interested in in uh, over the next year? Well, I think like everyone else that I heard talking about the assembly over the last year or so, um, I think it's the economic development of our community. I mean, our community has transitioned away from you know resource extraction type of jobs largely. Um, into something more uh, around the tourism business. Uh, 
but there's a lot more to it than that too. It's not just strictly tourism. There's a lot of other industries we do here, healthcare and government and things like that. So, uh, and I think it's a much more a balanced approach. And I, I think I bring to the table experience with our community, ability to work with people and, you know, an interest in other things. And, you know, also, of course, all the developments out there at GPIP that are going to be part of, you know, building a marine services center. I think those are going to be vital to the future of our community, and I'd like to be part of that. That was KCAW's Catherine Rose speaking with Assemblymember Tim Pike, who will serve on the Assembly until the municipal election in October 2023. You can listen to an extended version of the interview on our website at kcaw.org. Southeast Alaska's Regional Native Corporation plans to distribute $15.4 million to its shareholders November 9th. Sea Alaska has approximately 23,000 shareholders who are Slingat, Haida, and Simshian people living in Southeast Alaska and elsewhere. The for-profit corporation is based in Juneau. The amount of the dividend per shareholder ranges from $374 to $695 per 100 shares and depends on the class of shareholder. About half of Sea Alaska's payout comes from operations income. The other half comes from natural resource revenue sharing funds with the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act and a shareholder permanent fund. While the ANCSA funds are more volatile, the shareholder permanent fund has seen steady earnings in recent years. The corporation's operations have seen increased profits the last seven years. In a press release, Sea Alaska CEO Anthony Malott has said the corporation's dividends remain solid despite the economic volatility seen across the globe. The fall dividend brings the year's total payout to shareholders to $36.7 million. $21.3 million was paid out in April. Federal aviation regulators are directing carriers to inspect a popular model of bush plane before their next flight. In an airworthiness directive published Wednesday in the Federal Register, the Federal Aviation Administration says operators of de Havilland DHC-3 otters must take a close look at a component that controls the horizontal portion of the plane's tail. Crash investigators at the National Transportation Safety Board called on the FAA to mandate the inspections last week. That's after an investigation into a crash in Washington state indicated the horizontal stabilizer actuator, or jack screw, had come apart before an otter plunged into Puget Sound. The FAA says it's concerned other planes could have the same issue. Under the FAA directive, operators are required to look closely at the actuator to ensure that a lock ring that prevents the component from coming apart is properly installed. The directive also requires operators to send the results of the inspection to the FAA. Alaska Division of Elections officials say they have a solid system of checks and balances in place that have long proved that state elections are secure. But misinformation, skepticism and hostility around election integrity are taking their toll on Alaska election workers. Reporter Jeremy Shea has been reporting on the issue. He sat down with Alaska Public Media's Casey Grove to answer some common questions. So what are state election officials most concerned about lately? Lieutenant Governor Kevin Meyer, who's responsible for oversight of the Division of Elections, he says his biggest concern is actually homegrown misinformation from social media, especially. Election officials have been spending a lot of time addressing the public's election concerns. Meyer says some people just can't be convinced. They, they still <laughs> seem to believe the, uh, my pillow guy before they'll believe me or, or even um, some of our, our regional supervisors. Meyer's talking about Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow. That guy's more famous now for promoting false claims about election fraud than for his own business. Meyer said when he began the job four years ago, malicious foreign actors were top of mind. 
he says they're they're still in play, but now skeptics like Lindell and his supporters are complimenting foreign efforts to undermine our democracy. Does all this scrutiny and skepticism have an impact on how the state runs elections? So the division's processes and procedures haven't changed much. Uh, substantive changes really have to be changed in state law, which doesn't happen often. But there are other impacts. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Meyer said one regional election supervisor told him he felt like he was going to get punched in the face during a recent primary. That supervisor quit, and Meyer said it was already tough to recruit and retain election workers without a sometimes abusive work environment. So you mentioned that there are a lot of checks and balances to ensure our elections are accurate. Can you walk me through some of those checks and balances? One of the most common concerns is that the machines that scan our ballots and, and count our votes are error prone or may have been intentionally manipulated somehow to alter vote counts. You know, so for the sake of argument, let's say the scanner I feed my ballot into at my polling place after I vote is somehow compromised. Uh, election workers actually test these machines before they're used in the field, so it would likely get caught through one of those tests before any real ballots were scanned. After a ballot is scanned, it isn't discarded, so that physical paper is still there. With a few exceptions, state law requires a hand count of those physical ballots from one randomly selected precinct for every House district in the state. So that's 40 recounts, basically. If a hand count is off of the machine count by more than 1%, that's a red flag. And they started doing this back in 1998, and they've never hit that threshold. The discrepancies they do find are usually caused by ballots that are poorly marked that the machines can't read. So are the machines themselves secure? Yeah, in, in two ways. Like, So physically, when they're not in use, they're stored in monitored rooms with alarms on them. Access is limited and logged. Carol Thompson has been with the Division of Elections for 32 years and now manages election operations. She says she's dealt with her share of 2 a.m. alarms from these. So if somebody were to break in, bells and whistles will go off, yeah. <laughs> including if it's a mouse. <laughs> Which has actually happened. Uh, as far as Ocean's Eleven Dream Team of hackers and burglars, not so much. The other way machines are secured is through an air gap. That's like a techie way of saying the machines involved in counting votes are not on any networks. They don't talk to each other electronically. They don't have Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Between the air gap and physical security measures, the idea is they can't be hacked. That was Alaska Public Media's Jeremy Shea talking with Casey Grove. If you want to dig deeper, election officials have put together a lot more information available at elections.alaska.gov. Taking a look at the community calendar. Whale Fest lectures are from 1 to 4 p.m. Friday through Sunday, November 4th through 6th at Harrigan Centennial Hall. The theme is How It's Made, Courting, Babies, and Growth. You can register at sitkawhalefest.org. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. Ha <laughs> ha!